Hi everyone, I hope you're very well. This is episode eight, season two of the Shopstool podcast. You may notice we're starting the show off a bit different today, and that's because unfortunately we've had to say goodbye to one of our co-hosts. Jordan Crawford won't be on the show for the rest of the season. Unfortunately, we've had to go our separate ways. On perfectly good terms though, we just aren't able to continue on our current schedule. So from Joey and I, mate, we wish you all the best. However, we do have a new co-host joining the show, someone you might already know. He was on episode 20 in season one, and he's a very successful woodworker and entrepreneur. We had a great show back then, so the fit seemed perfect. I'd like to officially welcome Brian Cush to the show, this time not as a guest, but as a co-host. Brian, how are you? Guys, I'm, I'm great. Thank you very much for the opportunity to join the team. Um, I'm obviously a big fan of the show, and it's, it's good to be back in a slightly more permanent role. Yeah, awesome. And as always, we've got Mr. Joey Chalk from New Zealand. Joey, how's it going? Very good, guys. How are you all? And my name is Robin Lewis. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we've got a pretty, pretty cool topic to talk about. So I guess we'll get started with you, Brian, just with a, a bit of an intro into who you are for anyone who doesn't know. And then I'm really keen to talk about this latest Instagram post that you put out with this, this environmental initiative. It's, it's something that Joey and I talked about last night, and, and we're both very excited and interested in it. And I, I guess it would just be interesting to get your take on it, sort of what it's all about and what you plan on doing with it. All right, I'll get the, uh, the profile rundown out of the way, but basically I come from an architecture background. I'm Irish born, but I've been in Australia now for 15 years. I graduated from Melbourne University, worked in architecture for about four or five years, got a bit of burnout, uh, decided that a desk job wasn't really quite what I had in mind for my career. So I started getting back to uh, making things started a workshop on the side and gradually partitioned out of architecture, got a business grant and got my business going. So my business is five years full-time now. It's Sawdust Bureau. Awesome. Um, yeah, based in Melbourne, do work mainly in Australia, a little bit of international stuff, depending on how the Aussie dollar is stacking up for, yeah. uh, <laughs> for foreign buyers. But um, only Australian timbers. Um, I don't use any imported stuff. A uh, bit of concrete, bit of steel, but yeah, timber is always the sort of uh, the main focal point of my work. Um, so, so yeah, kind of branching on from that, I've always sort of been interested from studying architecture in terms of trying to work out a building's carbon footprint, and it was taught pretty early in my right. uh, my university days, like how to calculate the entire sort of net carbon. Um, footprint of a building. So I thought, well, maybe I could start impl employing those ideas onto furniture. So I had always yeah. said, Australian timbers, it's the easiest way to reduce the amount of energy required to get that product to me. And it's yeah. also, you know, it's it's a different species from like eucalypts are available mainly in Australia. There's some uh, obviously in South Africa and places like that in America. But it is an Australian indigenous species, so it is of the place as well, which is kind of important to me in terms mm. of design. I want to produce something that looks Australian. But also the knock-on effect is that it's using far less energy to produce that product. Yeah. So the idea behind the trees was obviously with the global climate strikes and things like that. Now I was trying to work out a small thing that I could do to my business um, to make it a little bit less uh, bad for the environment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the fact that we're in the business of cutting down trees, I think we should also be in the business of putting them back up again. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something I've, I've been thinking about for probably three or four years. 
and something I've, I've acknowledged to myself and pushed it back out of to the back of my brain because it's almost been I didn't really have an answer and I, I still don't really have an answer for where I stand um, and that I know that uh, I'm causing some of that problem because I'm using almost entirely imported species um, and there is a problem here where I am in New Zealand I can't get good furniture quality natives yeah. um, it's just I was just on the phone today trying to find some veneered plywood in um, uh, Cary and just it doesn't exist there's no one yeah. has it and so yes I can use a bunch of different softwoods we're really good at growing pine over here but it's no it's no furniture grade material um, so for me at the moment I'm stuck with imported stuff whether it comes from Australia or America doesn't really make too big a difference I don't think so I've always had it in the back of my mind that what can I be doing to do, we, do I stick with that import and then what do I do to offset that and the idea had never actually crossed my mind that I should be planting trees although that was the obvious um, that's the obvious solution mm, mm. but I think Brian you have, actually haven't said what you, what you were thinking yet was that you're going to put some percentage of, of each job I think is it each job and you're going to take that yeah. money and donate it to, to plant trees yeah, like I was, I mean, the figure that I've always had in, had in my head was kind of 1%. Do you know, if you're trying yeah. to get people to really jump on board, it, it, like we basically work for, you know, not that far above minimum wage, the guys that are doing it full yeah. time. So the idea of donating, I don't know, 20 or 30% of a job is, it's yeah. not going to fly. But, you That's know, 1% happen. is such a small figure. And mm. there's other, there's obviously other charities and not-for-profits that have done that 1%. Uh, there's a soccer player in, in Europe who runs a, a, a not-for-profit called Common Goal, and he's trying to get other professional soccer players to donate 1%. Right. And obviously 1% of 500,000 yeah. euros a week is slightly bigger than what we can contribute. But I figure that most makers out there, 1% is achievable, you know? And 1% of a $3,000 piece equals mm. 10, 10 to 15 trees. Yeah. And you want to use probably a third of a tree, maybe, by the time yeah. you take into account dressing to create a rather large piece of furniture. So, yeah, um, yeah I think I just think it's an achievable thing. Um, I've had a pretty good response, and a response globally as well. You know, a lot of Americans, awesome. uh, Canadians. So I think it would be really good to just have more in involvement with uh, the outside community, obviously beyond yeah. my kind of group of Australian Melbourne-based makers, but to create a bit of a list of, um, of different uh, not-for-profits that people can donate to. So not necessarily donate to one, because I obviously want to I want to look at Australian reforestation. There's no point in a Canadian maker putting their money into the same project, yeah. but just to create a list and people can choose and just commit to that, that 1%. And whether it's under an umbrella of, you know, some kind of name or brand that we can all say that this is what we're doing. Um, yeah, that's I think a good it, idea. Right? It's an easy thing to implement. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I did some quick uh, Googling last night and found uh, at least two non-for-profits who are planting trees. Um, and it's something like $25 for a single tree. And I think it was $100 gets you a small grove, uh, what they call a small grove. So I imagine it's going to be about 10. Is that that's new, in New Zealand, is it? Yeah. Yeah, um, and and they're planting natives, and yep. I mean that's so simple. They've got a simple online. It's like two clicks, and you've donated them ten dollars, 
and it's so easy for me to do that and it's like kind of smack myself on the head why why haven't i done been doing this for 10 years yeah um, and then what happens to the, like so that donation obviously goes to that company they plant yeah. the trees is there do you have a way of following following on from i that? can uh the one i looked at you could i think there was a bit of extra paperwork and it and it'll give a certificate and some kind of uh I think some kind of geotag types thing where you could actually mm. zoom in and look at where your tree's planted and follow it that way. There was some way of identifying it. I didn't do the full reading, but um, yeah. yeah. And I think for large donations, you can have a plaque put in front of the group of trees or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not that it's about that, but I guess it's no. just nice yeah. to have yeah. some form of this is what I've done. You know, yeah. I can yeah. put my gold star on my head and feel good. I think yeah. there are a lot of makers out there that do it and do it quietly and don't shout about right. it. And I don't want to be the person to sort of shout about it and say, this is what my business and, you know, I'm doing things yeah, differently yeah. because I'm some environmental warrior because <laughs> I'm not, you know, I drive a car, I, I go on international yeah, exactly. holidays. But I just want it to become an industry standard, you know. I just want it to, yeah. to just be a simple thing that we can all do. And, it just seems and, like such common sense to have any, any building company that uses timber yeah. Should just be planting trees. It just makes hundred yeah. percent of sense. Yeah. I have been contacted by, by builders as well and carpenters, which is really good. And yeah. um, obviously the use of plantation sort of single species is a bit of a problem um, in terms of biodiversity and things. So yeah. even if they're using plantation timber, you know, it's a it's a commercial enterprise, so that plantation timber is gonna be replaced by the same timber. But if mm. their money can go into increasing diversity somewhere else in a different in a different forest or or something, yeah. I, I just think it's a bit of a no-brainer to be honest. Yeah. So just it's, to to elaborate on that, is the goal here to move away from the plantations altogether? So it's just not that single species. So are you just trying to create a new sort of um, a natural environment that we can then? cut down at a later stage. So we're still going to, you know, use the timber, but it, the idea is to not just have that single species pine as far as the eye can see. I, I reckon my, I would be swaying more towards the whole, like there's a lot of farmers in Australia that are now reforesting their properties and moving away from like arable land and trying to bring back native species and a diverse range of native species. Plantation timber is obviously hugely important. Um, mm. But I think it's just about trying to achieve a balance between the two. Like in New Zealand, there's obviously been political moves and there are huge pine forests that um, yep. people have put their retirement funds into and stocks and shares and all that kind of stuff that like Kauri and Rimu is now, is not a thing. Um, it's so yeah, slow growing that a yep. plantation that you planted now is gonna take what, 150 years, 200 years? Well, yeah. 100, 100, 100 plus years to get to a point where you would say it's worth chopping it down. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's never going to be a commercially viable thing to say, you know, we're going to plant uh, Rimu seedlings and exactly. then we're going to start uh, milling that. But the idea of the plantation timber is fine and obviously you're going to still have to import stuff from overseas because that's, that's the reality of hardwoods in New Zealand. But eventually mm. you will restore biodiversity and... and bring back Rimu and... and uh... Well, I, I should just clarify, like, I agree with you 100%, but Rimu and Kari are both pines. Um, yeah, sorry. Rimu's red pine, Kari yep. is a version of pine, I forget 
uh, exactly. So while it's, I mean, carry is the best timber you've ever put through a molding machine or milling. Yep. It just does exactly Bottom. what you want it to do. At the end of the day, you can still put your fingernail into it and dent it. It's a bit like the Japanese using their soft cedars and stuff. Mm -hmm. Machines beautifully, and they can do really nice work with it. But at the end of the day, it's not hard enough, really, for a tabletop or mm. even. I mean, all the old villas here are made with carry floorboards, and all of them are just They're all dented scratched, and yeah. scratched yeah. and just terrible. Like it's really. It's, I don't know why they did it. Um, <laughs> well, I do because they had these huge trees that they were just <laughs> chopping down. Um, but. Um, so in terms of like high quality furniture, it's really difficult. There's a few native species here, but they either grow too slowly or they're not planted for harvesting or they're too small to harvest. Yeah. And the pieces are in, they grow in weird shapes. And um, so you can get some very hard natives. You just can't get any. You certainly couldn't get enough to make a dining table and chairs. And um, so it's just a, a really, Pain in the ass, really. And, I, and that's, that's why I was asking the question, are we putting these trees down to eventually become timber for furniture, or is this just to offset what we are taking out with the intent of these, these just going back to nature, so to speak? I would, I would say it's probably the offset yeah. factor, you know, yeah. the, carbon, yeah. the carbon sink. There, one of the companies that I've looked at is trying to turn southeastern Australia into the, the largest carbon sink forest um, outside right. of any rainforest. Um, so yeah, it's just about planting more trees, I think. Yeah, mm. I think from my point of view, it's if I'm going to take some oak or ash from the states, mm -hmm. I, I can't do anything about that happening mm -hmm. in the states. But I can certainly plant, you know, five little seedlings yeah. um, for my one purchase of a of a, like yeah. a, ten, a tenth of a tree. So yeah. even if it's the sm really small things like stabilizing soil, slowing down rainwater runoff, like there's so many mm. other factors that come into it that. Yeah, it just makes sense to plant more trees. Yep. <laughs> when, Absolutely. When um, I bought this house, and I was house hunting at the time, I almost bought a house on the outskirts of town. The, the area wasn't the greatest, which is why I ended up not going for it, but it was a five hectare, uh, five acre or five hectare, I can't remember, block, really big, and the, the house was right on the front. and between my wife and I, the goal was basically just to chop the block in half, the front half is ours, and the rest we just let go back to yeah. nature. So you just, you just take that block and that, yeah. that you, know, you plant your natives, etc. And so in that process, I did a bit of research, and it's amazing how a lot of people are starting to do that. It's becoming right. quite a popular thing to buy a, a private piece of land and essentially give it back to nature. Um, yeah. People who have grasses, native grasses, in their yards, instead of continuously cutting it, which again is obviously, yeah. there's a lot of uh, you know, um, carbon footprint in that, they just let the native grasses grow and they just, they just give it back, so to speak. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's a really yeah, cool it idea. is just a, it's a feed, like there's a, a movement in Europe at the minute called seed bombs, and you can buy like these kind of compressed, uh, it's a variety of wildflowers that are native to right. whichever region you're in. And you know, just go and chuck them on council roundabouts and nature That's strips awesome. and things. And <laughs> um, just try to increase that, that whole diversity, bring the bees back. And by not planting the same types of trees over and over again, um, you're not dealing with that canopy cover um, and it's allowing smaller plants to grow. So it is just this real holistic thing. I think that it needs to go full circle. It can't just be about 
you know, cut mm. down a, a Tasmanian oak tree, replant a Tasmanian oak tree in exactly the same spot. Yeah. 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 I, get, I guess when, when it becomes very second nature for people and, you know, these conversations that we're having, clearly it is becoming, you know, more second nature for people, then it won't become a case of, as you say, I've pulled out a, a Vic Ash, I need to put in a Vic Ash. You, you're just your day-to-day will be offsetting that. Mm. Um, mm. And as soon as people become more aware to it, like when you plant native in your, again, just in your own yard, like I don't have a big block, but I can still do my little bit with that. When I plant native, the garden works. It just works because it's supposed yeah. to be there. So it's not requires so less water, less fertilizer. <laughs> like it's, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you think, well, why wasn't I doing this in the first place? Because it just, yeah. It, yeah, this, is, this is low maintenance. So people are becoming more cottoned onto that. So it costs less, it works better, and then so people are just going to run with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. So moving forward, Brian, then what's the, what's the next step then in this? What do you, are you, is there anything planned for this? Because I know you were talking about getting an initiative or getting a group of makers together. Um, is there a next step or are you still making this up as you go? It's kind of like, it's literally just something that came to me uh, probably two or three days ago. And I just yep. started Googling tree planting schemes. I think it probably... It'll probably develop, like I will try to generate a web page, whether that's on my own website or on a, another site of just, mm. it's like a resource guide nearly, you know, um, ways for makers to manage their carbon footprint and different not-for-profits in their region that they can go to. Um, but yeah, I think it would be really good to have it under one sort of umbrella that we can say we're all part of it. Mm. So, do you have a list of those organisations already? I've, I've the reason st- I've I'm just started, thinking, I've started drafting okay. one today. Yeah, yeah. Because awesome. I wouldn't mind putting some in the notes of this episode, just some links that people can go to if they're listening to this and they're interested. We'll have yep. some links in the show notes. Yep, yep. Yeah, I will just, shoot um, them through I thought, to you. I thought it'd be uh, interesting to note, at least, uh, not quite part of the same conversation, but in my googlings. Last night, I found that New Zealand government, you never hear about these things, obviously, but our government at some point in the past had um, said they've got this initiative which they're planning to plant a billion trees by 2028, and um, they've got people trying to have people full-time walking hills planting trees. And it's, they're paying, they want to pay people $400 a day to walk and plant trees and at the moment, they just can't get people to do the job, which is outrageous. Um, yes. presum- presum- presumably because people don't want to walk all day and plant trees. But for $400 a day, and all you have to mm-hmm. do is walk around in nature, uh, so there's something like 17 available spots like constantly. They just can't keep the, the positions full. And obviously, if people aren't going and doing this job, then they're not going to hit that, that 1 billion tree mark. Um, that they're after but I mean I just think it's outrageous that they're putting the money into it and there's just people just don't want to do it <laughs> so, that's um, uh, that is pretty crazy I know in, in Australia the visa scheme here for, for travellers I think it's under 30 is that you get a 12 month uh, tourist visa and you do 3 months of regional work and you get an additional I think it was either 3 or 6 months so oh, wow, I don't cool. know whether that covers things like tree planting or whether it only covers work on like commercial farms and things like that. But it would be an interesting right. thing to work out because there is such a volume of, of backpackers coming through here. Yeah, that, well, that seems this... to me to be a far better scheme than getting them to work for uh, 
yeah, let's call it minimum yeah. wage, but it's usually slightly yeah. below it. Uh, picking yeah. apricots or apples or strawberries. That's right, yeah. fruit pickers. Yeah, yeah. That's what the this tree planting is aimed at uh, tourists coming in, um, mm-hmm. and it just can't seem to get people to stick to it. So that is mad. <laughs> Sounds yeah. brilliant. I mean, Walking around rural New Zealand planting trees. Yeah. Get fit, I mean, yeah. Offset yeah. your your carbon footprint. Well, yeah, sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a perfect scenario. And four hundred bucks a day is certainly not something to scoff at. That's yeah. a good wage. <laughs> I yeah. think uh, most furniture makers aren't making four hundred dollars a day. So hell um, no. <laughs> no. So talking of furniture making, Brian, what are you working on at the moment? I am working on an, a custom island bench. Another one. Um, uh-huh. with another built-in wine rack and a set of stools to, to match it. Um, it's cool. good. It's a repeat client. It's a nice job. He's given me a fair bit of freedom on it. Uh, I'm working with... I bought a um, a batch of white mahogany, which is a New South Wales eucalypt that I've been working with on the last few projects. Really nice okay. stuff. Super hard. Kind of looks like American wow. oak. Um and yeah, I'm just kind of gradually working my way through the bus. I'd never seen it in any of the timber yards in Melbourne. So when I pulled it out of the rack and I assumed it was American oak and the timber right. yard owner said, no, 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 eucalypt. And I was like, wow. I'll just take the whole thing. Awesome. So it's, it's very unlike me. I usually just buy it per job and buy maybe 20% more, keep a few offcuts and work on that. But uh, yeah, it's very unlike me to buy the whole, the whole lot. So you say it's a repeat, uh, repeat client. So is it going in the same, in the same house, presumably? Same apartment, yeah, yeah. Same a retiree. Um, he commissioned me originally to do one of my pinch benches with the ammunition shell as the leg. Oh yeah. Um, and yep. then I've done a few other pieces for him since then. Yeah, it's good. So do you find, as a secondary question, do yeah. you um, do you have like a um, target kind of client? age how they what they look like do you have a, a target or customer that generally you find them like in their 60s or are they in their 20s or i have tried to work out that demographic so many times yeah. i look at the age of people visiting my website the age of instagram followers the age of clients that i've had and it is such a diverse range obviously <laughs> at, a, at a price point you're kind of cutting out most yeah. most people in their early to mid 20s it's not yeah, yeah. Really, but there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there that make money in their mid 20s and they they want to buy nice things that last as opposed to just flashy yeah. things um so yeah I've, I've had anywhere from late 20s to probably early 70s yeah. usually yeah. dual income um early 30s to mid 30s i would say is my standard yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's always interesting. Whenever I sell a piece of furniture, I, I drop a pin on a map as well and see ah, yeah. what suburbs I tend to sell in. And that That's surprised me. Like in <laughs> Melbourne, uh, I don't know whether any of you guys know Melbourne, but Turak is sort of the Turak and Malvern are the kind of real price areas. Q, so it's sort of southeast. Right. I have sold bugger all there. Yeah. All of my stuff is kind of in more inner city, north and south side rather than, than inner east. But um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. Yeah. I have the same thing. The so-called quote-unquote posh area, I've sold yeah. like one thing in that yeah. area. So Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I wonder if they'd be getting their stuff internationally. I think they go to the high-end stores they and buy the, the, the name stores. stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did have one, uh, uh, my ex-soccer coach, who is a uh, very well-off man, and um, he was due to commission me to do a dining table, which was going to be one of the, I think it was probably the second or third piece I'd ever made. And his right. wife obviously had concerns about me being a, a new maker. And I was right. like, well... I'm gonna price it appropriately. You know, this is this is your chance to get a bargain. You're gonna get something that's well made, locally made, locally timber, local timbers. And uh, she ended up going with an Italian table. And I'm like, okay, what's the design? Can you shoot? Uh, she goes, well, I just really wanted it because it was Italian. And I'm like, okay, that's. And it was a really good lesson. You, you know, yeah. those are the attitudes you're up against from the start, and they will never be your you customer. Yeah, you cannot you can't do anything about that. If, if they yeah. just want the the aesthetic of it being from Europe, yep. then you just you're out of a job. <laughs> and they want to tell people that they bought it from Europe. Um, yeah. So yeah. for me, I've kind of found the next tier, sort of the mid yeah. mid to high end, as opposed to the super high end, has kind of yeah, bought into my my ideas for what uh, what a piece of furniture should represent. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Joe? So. How about you? Yeah. Oh, what am I working on? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Kitchens. More kitchens. <laughs> Man, I'm over it. Um, I just finished a video. I published a video for Once in a Blue Moon, mm. um, which was this cool little ash extension table thing um, with steel legs. Um, if I was as... Uh, well... If I had any skills on metalworking, I would have tried the legs myself, but that's not what I'm good at. I just do the design, get someone who knows what they're doing to do it, and I know it will be right. So, um, <laughs> how was the how was the video received? At the moment, it's performing like the worst video I've ever put out. <laughs> that's that intro. So, for those of you who haven't watched the video, the the beginning yeah. where you talk through the design process. Yeah. I found amazing, brilliant. Like right. as, as someone who's interested in woodwork and who uses SketchUp, I really enjoyed that. But I did wonder how many of the people people who are watching you just to watch the, the build process and right. watch, you know, how many people you're yeah. going to lose along that way. Yeah, I mean, I haven't actually looked at the actual statistics. I've just, on the little YouTube app, it just kind of says ranking like out of 10 how well is this video doing yeah. to two of your other videos and it's like nine so right. it's pretty pretty terrible but i don't really care at this point it's just <laughs> putting the videos out so yeah <laughs> oh interesting yeah that's... Um, i did sorry go on. sorry i did just get a finally just got an editor for my videos oh, so cool. um i will have yet to see anything come back from him yet um, just a young guy, so you know, I'm not entirely sure of his skill set. I just gave him some footage and said, edit, and let's see what happens. So um, hopefully it works out. A local guy? Yeah, yeah. And are you, so, is he going to get involved with the filming, or are you just... No, he's, just I just am just going to... The plan is just to give him all my raw footage. He's going to cut it down into something like a rough cut, and then I'll... Then from that point, what I usually do is put my intro on, voiceover, and then as I voiceover, I just trim everything out and tighten it up uh, based on voiceover if I need to do that. So um, something he can't do that. So um, that should save me like kind of three hours on every video, I hope. Yeah. So he'll send you the actual project, the full project back to you. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
He's actually just what what I've decided to do is just share a laptop, so that way everything just stays. So he just oh, signs yeah. the laptop out from me, takes it away, edits, brings the laptop back, and then I can carry on. That's easier than trying to, um, you know, stream footage. You know, whatever you have to do, transfer footage and stuff. So mm. that's going to be very interesting. Whenever you, uh, well, whenever you listen to people talking about the the point where they get an editor on board, they yeah. always say it's one of the most difficult but the best decision they make because it frees them up but it's so hard to let go of that creative control so it's going to be interesting to see how this goes yeah i'm sure there'll be a difference in look and feel but um i'm just wanting to save time because i have not got enough hours in the day so yeah um yeah i'm just so so snowed under with with work coming in it is insane um I think earlier this year, Brian, we kind of messaged backwards and forwards a little bit saying how quiet it was. Yep. And about uh, three weeks after that, I mean, it just boomed and it hasn't stopped. And I don't know if it's changed for you at all that way, but... It's picked up here as well. Um, mm. like usually, winter to spring is pretty good. Like, coming up end of financial year and then moving into spring. Right. But, um, but no, it's, it's busy at the minute, which is great. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, what are you doing, um, Robin? Um, steam bending. Still working on that chair. Um, the last time we talked, I think I had just started working on the legs, but I've now finished the two legs. I put out a picture on Instagram. Yeah. So it's nine strips of, well, it's eight strips of Vic ash with a strip of Morton Bay ash in the middle as a just a dark contrast so that's the thickness of the the two legs unbelievably strong once you've laminated them all together yeah, yeah. unbelievably so um got those um off the form they're all they're all pretty good good to go cut the feet to size so they're sitting nicely the next thing is going to be doing all the bends for the the back the the slats the support yeah. where you actually sit so I've hit a bit of a roadblock and I actually wanted to ask your guys' opinion on this. This is gonna be quite a, an easy chair, a, a, a lounging chair. When you sit on a chair, if you consider these slats are going all the way from up on your, the, you know, just below your head, all the way down to your, where your knees would come off. Yeah. The, the radius of that curve, is there like- For your butt. Yeah, where your, where your butt goes. Is there like a standard that you would make that or is there anything that I should be concerned about with that radius? Yeah, it's, I'll, 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 all I can really say is that, you know, you go to the beach and you sit down on the sand and you wiggle a little bit and it's perfect. It doesn't take much of a slight curve, I don't think, to um, kind of allow the human form to, to get comfy. Mm. I, think it, I think when things are overly shaped, like a, a bucket seat, like in a racing car or something. It's comfortable, but very restrictive at the same time. Mm. So Interesting, yeah. I would just go for like, I mean, you can find a comfortable spot on a, on a, a rocky outcrop. You know, it doesn't take much to find that, just that little hollow or something for a body to fit. So I would go for kind of gentle, but obvious. <laughs> yeah, because my concern is if I go Obviously, if I go too tight, then if the radius is too tight, then it's going to be uncomfortable yeah. because then you're sort of yeah. getting wedged in there. But if you become, if it's too 
if the radius is too big, then it just becomes one long curve, which I don't really want it to be. I want it to be a, yeah. a chair. It's not a, it's yeah. not a scoop. Brian, any thoughts? Welcome to the tricky world of uh, chair design. Um, <laughs> everybody has different opinions. There's like one school of science that says a chair, uh, it's obviously slightly different because yours is an occasional chair, but a dining chair should not really be too curved or like it should be quite, it should make you readjust your seating position. Do you know, so you're not sat in the, in the same position. It's not made to sit one way because it's it should be a generalized thing that should fit many different bodies, different seating angles, and it should right. cause you to move every few minutes. So that's obviously mm. slightly different for a dining chair. But uh, yeah, an occasional chair, you sort of want something to sink into. Uh, is it gonna be upholstered? You're gonna have cushions no. in it? So, no, no so you're it's not. just timber, yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, is it, are you making it for you? Yeah, it's just for me upstairs. Yeah. So look, if, if I get it wrong, you know, lesson learned, not the end of the world, but it's just be, having never done a chair yeah. like this, I don't know what's going to work. And it's funny, when you said that, Joe, about sitting in the sand, I suddenly thought, well, there's a good idea. Let me go down to the beach, yeah. sit in the sand. And <laughs> Form it up. Get a- make, a, make a sand mold and then just kind of template it off there. I mean, you could. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing, thing that I've seen done is you stand sort of against a sheet of paper and get somebody to trace your, trace your spine angle. <laughs> right. And you yeah. kind of get your lumbar angle and all those kind of things, but... Yeah, what make, I was it, gonna make do... it really specific then, get it, to, get it to fit you. If it doesn't have to fit anybody else, then I wouldn't worry about it too much. But, but the thing is, when you say get it to fit me, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, to sort of look at myself and go, oh, you know, my butts are about a 200 mil radius, whatever it is. But when you're actually sitting in it, it's a different, mm. it's a different um, kettle of fish. So what I thought another way to do it, and this is what I was probably going to do this afternoon, is just go out to a furniture store and see if I can find something similar to, <laughs> yeah. get, to get an idea. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, you've got to have a reference point. Yeah. So. Cool. So, in other words, there is no, there's no standard. I've just got to work out whatever no, works. There is I no went onto this, science. I found this amazing website um, that they just go into, like, all the science of, you know, the, the human body and ergonomics and all of that. So, there's some amazing resources out there. But it's that, that, that particular curve, I just haven't been able to find anything. I think it's maybe less about the curve and more about the angles. And the curve mm-hmm. is like a vector between the angles. Um, so, so 100, 100 degrees is apparently the, between the back and the, the seat. That 100 degrees is your standard angle. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously up to you to do whatever you like. But so if you think back when I did my bath, when I just sat on the ground and put a plank up behind my back and just okay no that's too steep oh that's not that's too shallow and here feels about right I didn't care what the angle was I just felt that on me this was Mm. a nice lounging position to be in a bath or so you know that's what I figured and that's what I I ran with that was the angle and um, I mean that's all my my suggestion would be to just find that angle that you find comfortable and then you, you just gotta have to pick it and go with it and then take yeah. note of it, make a pattern, and then next time you try it, you could say, well, you know, I can adjust it this way or that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's what I'll be doing hopefully this week. I'm looking so forward to getting this one done just because it's been something completely new. And new. So, Brian, this particular idea, the steam bending idea, I've never done it before. Joey and I were talking a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, give a, try something new. 
I love steam bending. It's amazing. I, I've, I've got all these projects lined up now just with steam bending. It's so much fun. Have you, have you am, done any of it yourself, Brian? I am Brian? yet to try it. I've, I've tried some bent lamb, but uh, never steam bending. Hmm. There are some issues with, because I only work with Australian species, there are only, hmm. I think, maybe four or five Australian species that bend really well. Um, some of them get too hmm. brittle. Um, most of the timber I get is kiln dried as well. So, yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. That's all I have that, as well, but I've found that it does, I can still get a decent bend, although it's not yeah. Australian species, Like because I, I can't get air dried oak, which is the ideal, but uh, KD oak seam bends pretty bloody good. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think you'd be surprised. I think there's a lot, there's a certain amount of wives' tale and a certain amount of truth in, in all those things. And depending on your radius that you're actually going for and the twist amount, I think you can probably get quite a good result out of um, KD stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen Especially it. I've seen it done in a few different. It. I've seen it done in a few different workshops, and I've seen I've seen Burn Chandley, uh, which yeah. is an absolute pleasure to see him uh, his jigs. Yeah. And, um, even the, I mean, he kind of doesn't just bend in one direction. He can he can do a two directional bend, which stuff, is yeah. fantastic. Oh right, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, so like you'd have, say, the back rail of a chair would go around your back and then come down to form like part of the leg structure, I think. Yep. Um, And and one piece, and that is crazy. And that is like one solid piece, and that's a whole different level because I've I've done like what Robin's doing at the moment, steam bend some strips, mold it, let it dry, take it out, and then glue it back together. That works really well. But doing that process in like a solid bit of like, 30 by 30 or something that that is a, a whole different ball game yeah absolutely so the ben, the bending strip what advantage are you finding doing the steam bending of the strips as opposed to bent lamb of the strips Robin is it just that you're able to do less strips to achieve a tighter yeah. radius yeah that's pretty much it so it's just about the yeah because I don't have um, anything to get well I mean I could get thinner strips with my thickness if I did I think if you if you double side tape it to like a board and run it make through a, you make can a jig, get it yeah, 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 yeah. but instead of worrying about that I can get it down to about 3 or 4 mil mm-hmm. through the thicknesser um, yeah and you wouldn't be able to well I wouldn't I don't, wouldn't imagine you'd, you'd be able to just laminate that you'd need to put something into yeah, it yeah I agree my experience when I made my guitar was I was I used using maple but I got down to about three and a half mil for the guitar body, and there's no way that it's going to bend around a guitar shape, which is why mm-hmm. they have like a, a dry heat bender. And um, so, just that experience alone taught me that okay, it's all very well to have thin strips, but to actually bend those thin strips and then have them stay there, um, steam gets them into the right shape, glue then holds it there. Mm. Um, and that's that's pretty much been my basis of why I've done that kind of thinner strips and steam bent and glue. Yeah. When you when you say a dry heat bender, you are you talking about like the hot pipe? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the strips that I did, we were when we talked last week, Joey, we were talking about you were saying how you need to get it to that that piping hot level where it's yeah you, you know really hard to handle. There was one particular board that I that I put in, and when I when I cut the strip, I, it felt very loose, and it just felt particularly flexible. 
when that came out of the steam box, it felt <laughs> yeah. like rope. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I was handling this thinking, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. If you have the right species, air dried, etc. It there was no resistance. It just bent awesome. around. Oh, it was amazing. And, and I thought if you're doing this right with the proper stuff, you could get away with 10, 15, 20 mil in this type of yeah. timber, no problem. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should probably leave it there for today. To everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really helps us out. The Shop Store Podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps as well as YouTube. My name is Robin Lewis. Joey and Brian, thanks for hanging out today. Take care, everyone, and we will see you in the next one. See ya. See you later.